Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're starting this new series, and I am more excited than I have ever been about what God is doing in this church. And so you will not want to miss next weekend, because Mel has a super exciting announcement about where we are headed. And so don't miss it, if at all possible. Um, And then I want to remind you that if you want to get more involved in the life of our church and serving or um, becoming a member, Growth Track is available to you at 11 a.m. during this service or at 6.30 on Saturday nights. It's every weekend except for the fifth weekend of each month. And um, so get plugged into that. And then, ladies, I hope you are coming to She Is. It is going to be an incredible weekend. The only thing God keeps speaking to me is that it's going to be significant. So for the women that come, it is going to be a significant encounter with God, and um, I want you to be there. I don't want finances to hold any of you back, though. So if you can't afford to come, please, please, please tell us. We have scholarships available, and we have very generous people in our church body that have uh, want to make sure that every woman that gets to attend gets to come. It's for girls ages 12 on up, women, um, and so bring your friends. We're expecting close to 1,500, which is double what we had last year, which is insane, and only God can do that. Um, it's at the KCAC this year, and I'm just so excited about what God is going to do. And men, we really need you. Um, we need you to serve that weekend, if at all possible, um, October 25th and 26th. So if you're interested in helping uh, with the conference that weekend, if you could see at the info desk or you can sign up online to serve. Um, but we're going to be moving furniture from here to there and all kinds of things happening that we're going to need men for. So please consider serving. If you have a wife or a daughter that needs you to watch their kids, though, please do that instead so that she gets to come. Um, So I get to talk about our vision statement today, which is one of my favorite things. And um, how, who knows in the room what our vision statement here at Summit Church is? Every life made different. And so uh, four weeks ago, when we kicked off the month of September on Labor Day weekend, we had six of our pastors speak for six minutes, and Mel started it out with um, what that statement actually means. And so I'm just going to recap that real quick and jump into uh, what I feel like God's given me for you today. I will warn you now, there's not much laughter that's going to be happening in this talk. (laughs) So... It gets real heavy, I'm going to warn you, but um, it's good, and God is good, and um, I'm excited about what he's already done this weekend. So I just want you to lean in and commit to hearing from God today, okay? Deal? Deal. Good, five of you, perfect. All right, so the first thing is, is every, God loves and values every Person And Hebrews 12, 2, 9 says that he tasted death for everyone. The second thing, life. Everyone without Christ is lost, every single person. Acts 4, 12 says, and there is salvation in no one else. 
For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the fourth, uh, third thing, made different. When we choose a relationship with Christ, we are made different. I am so thankful that God took um, my mess and my past mistakes and he redeemed it for his glory and he made me a new creation because I certainly needed to be one. And so when we choose a relationship with Jesus Christ, he makes us different. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Um, And so... What I want to talk about today is how our vision statement, Every Life Made Different, applies to you, how it applies to me, and how it applies to this church as a whole and what it means for us as a collective. So I just want to tell you a personal story about something that God did in my heart just about three years ago. Um, I was invited to a women's conference in Austin, Texas, and it's very rare that I get to go to something I don't plan. And so I jumped at the opportunity. Uh, One of my friends from a local church here was speaking at it. And so the first day, I got to sit with one of my old college friends um, to enjoy the conference. But the second day, she couldn't be there. And so I sat um, by myself in a room full of thousands of women, and um, I don't believe that that was by accident and believe that God really orchestrated for me to sit alone that day so that I would really lean in and ask him what he had for me. And so one of the reasons why I do women's conferences is because God always speaks to me and has done major things in my life through women's conferences. And so I was sitting there that day, I was sitting alone with no one around me, and um, a man by the name of David Platt, who's a pastor of a a global church in D.C., and also is the author of many books, one being the book Radical, and... um, I'd never actually read it, even though it kind of was a viral book, um, and I had never heard him speak. So as he steps onto the stage, he already like starts crying from what I remember. And I remember God saying, this is, lean in, Kim. I want to say something to you right now. So I leaned in. And um, I hung on every word that David had to say that day. And It was a short talk, but what I remember is David talked about this eight-day trek he took through an unreached part of the world. And by unreached, I mean they've they've never heard the name of Jesus. They don't have the Bible translated into their language. They have no um, local group of believers that would even be able to go to them to preach. And so he um, talks about this eight-day trek that he had with two guys who were doing uh, work there. And um, because it's such a sensitive area, he, like, isn't allowed to say where or names or anything like that. So he was telling this story of how on one of the days he went to this uh, lake and he was sat down and he saw these monks uh, wrapping these dead bodies in cloth. And then he watched them as they placed them on these wooden rafts and they pushed them out on this lake and then they lit their bodies on fire. So their religion, um, this is what they believe to do and they, I think they believe that they'll be you know, reincarnated. And, um, and so he was watching this happen And God spoke to him very clearly, David, this is a physical picture of an eternal hell. 
Told you this is fun, right? So David was just weighted down because he thought these people had never even had the opportunity to hear the gospel. And then the thought came to David, and this sentence has stuck with me and has never left, and it says, if heaven or hell are real, then how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about Jesus? I don't know about you, but I needed to be reminded of that because if I believe that God saved me and rescued me and I get to spend eternity in heaven, then why would I not want to share that gift with someone else? So I sat there weeping almost uncontrollably in my seat. I'd already been in ministry for almost 17 years at this point, doing this thing called church. Because see, we know how to put on a good service for you. We know how to set up an event and a program. I know how to put on a good conference. But if it doesn't lead people to Jesus, then what is it for? So I sat there alone, me and Jesus, and I just wept knowing that something had to change in me. Acts 1.8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So here's the thing. It doesn't say, if you are a pastor... You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the end of the earth. It doesn't say if you commit your life full time to ministry, then this is. No, it's for every person, every person that calls themselves a believer. And see, when you give your life to Jesus, you don't just get to keep it to yourself. You don't just get to sit on it and, oh, goodness, thank you, Jesus, I get to go to heaven, but I really don't care if anybody else goes. Because then I would have to ask you the question, are you really a Christian? I have to ask myself that. When you give your life to Jesus, you have a responsibility to tell every single one of us no exceptions, and the Holy Spirit gives us the power to do so. And that's the good news, right? Because Kim Massengale is a wimp. <laughs> she hates going up and talking to strangers. I like to be in my comfort zone, right? Kim Massengale, in her own strength, can do nothing. Maybe a little, but not very much. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that he gives us the power to do what he's called us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I fully believe we have a room full of people this weekend. I fully believe that Christians all across America aren't tapping into everything that God has for you here on this earth. And here's the reason why. We are a privileged nation. Even the poorest of our poor are privileged compared to the poorest in other countries. I believe that we have been given much, and so therefore much is required of us. 
And I'm not saying that today you're all going to be called into missions full time. But what my prayer is, is that you will all realize that you are a missionary. That God has given you gifts, he's given you careers, he's given you talents, he's given you creativity. Some of you he's given wealth. And it's not to build up your own storehouse and your own kingdom. And I fully believe that the reason why we are so miserable and why we see guys that make it to the NFL or, or big name um, you know, music stars who have the world at their fingertips, right? I fully believe that the reason we see them um, coming to the end of themselves is because God gifted them with their talents and their gifts and their careers, but they used it for selfish reasons and not for the glory of God and the good of others. I fully believe that they missed it. That God gave them those capacities. And, and what if we're sitting here today and God's given us capacity and gifts and talents and careers to reach people and we're not doing it see the vision of summit church and i believe the mission of jesus is to see every life made different in our world in our nation in our city so our jerusalem judea samaria and the end of the earth and we can't do everything but if all of us did something can you imagine what would happen on this planet if all of us just did our part? So the first thing I want to talk about today is every life made different in our world to the end of the earth. You see, we live in a world with tremendous physical need. Tremendous physical need. I've had the privilege and the honor of getting to go to Ireland twice this year, El Salvador twice, and Canada. And of course, when I go to El Salvador, I see tremendous physical need. In fact, I told Steph this morning, when I was in the shower, I thanked God, God, thank you that I get to shower today. Because I realize that's actually a privilege, that I get to stand in a shower and shower. There are people in the world that have never had a shower, like I'm, not, I'm just talking to you all today about the things God's doing in my own heart, so please know I'm not preaching at you, I'm preaching to myself. So we have a world with great physical need, but the reason we have a world with great physical need is because it has great spiritual need. There are places in the world, there are villages in the world where children, where it's known that children won't even make it to the age of eight. And it's not because of incurable diseases. It's because they just they can't go to Urgicare and get the pill that they need like we can. There are places in our world that are unreached, that have no access to the gospel or medical care even, and so they die of curable diseases that literally we could take a pill for and be better the next day. There are places in our world where families are in such poverty, such desperation that the human traffickers across the world take advantage of this fact. And they go into these impoverished areas and they play on 
these people's lack of income and wealth, and they promise these families and these mothers and these fathers that if you just give me your daughter and sometimes son, if you just give them to me, I'm going to give them a great life. We'll send money back to you. We'll take care of them. And so out of desperation, these parents sell their children as young as three to these traffickers, not knowing that they would never see them again, not knowing that they would be put in brothels, they would be abused more times in a day than we can count. I told you this is fun, right? But see, I think we'd like to turn our heads from this stuff because we want to stay comfortable. But if you read your Bible, and I encourage you to read your Bible, nowhere in Scripture does it say, Jesus came to make your life comfortable. No. He said, go into the highways and the byways. He said, take up your cross and follow me. He says, you will have trials and tribulations, but take heart, I have overcome, right? Most importantly, there are places in our world that have never, ever, ever heard the name of Jesus. And if you said the name Jesus to them, they would think, like, oh, was he here yesterday? Like it's just a, a man, you know. So the statistics are today, and there's a, a website called Joshua Project, and I encourage you, if you have a heart for this, to go and, and look at this website. But it says, the population today of the world is 7.67 billion. Unreached people, so people that have never heard the name of Jesus, is 3.19 billion. 3.19 billion that have no... Um, like less than five, two to five percent of believers in their area, no uh, scripture translation. There's no resources to evangelize people without outside assistance. So can I say, I know some of you in this room, um, you probably, you might have the belief that, well, why would we go to other countries when we have great need here? Because without outside assistance, without believers going to those other parts of the world, there's no one to go. Right? So that's why our friends last weekend, if you stayed around and heard them, they're in an unreached area, less than 2 to 5% of believers. My cousin and and her husband and kids are in the country neighboring them. They're in a country, again, where less than 2 to 5% are believers. People are going. And I'm so thankful because that's hope, right? It's 3.919 billion people that have never heard the name of Jesus, but there's hope because God is moving on hearts and sending people. Harry Ironside says, interest in missions is not an elective in God's university of grace. It is something in which every disciple is expected to major. So how can we be a part? The first thing is we need to pray. We need to pray, and we need to pray no matter what. Luke 10, 2 says, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, 
but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So we need to pray that God would raise up missionaries and he would send. I fully believe, though, sometimes when we pray that prayer, God said, and that's you. I want you to go. But we let fear surround us and and paralyze us and keep us from going. But we need to pray that God would send the laborers full time into his harvest. We need to pray and ask God, God, am I supposed to go? Last night we had a 14-year-old called to missions full time in one of our services. That's what I'm talking about. Our 17-year-old, Abby, is called to be a missionary. Some of her teachers think she's crazy because she's gifted and makes good grades. And, and you, Abby, you could go, you know, to Carnegie Mellon. I don't even know if she could go to Carnegie Mellon. That's her mom talking. But, um, but they think she's nuts. Like, she got accepted in a Bible college, you know, a week ago. She was so excited. So people are like, Kim, aren't you scared, like, for her to maybe, what if God sends her to a nation where she could be persecuted? And of course, as a mom, like, I want my kid to be safe. But more than anything, I want her to live her life for God. And if she goes to a nation where it's not safe, but yet she's telling people about Jesus, Man, that does more for me than anything else she could possibly do, would ever do for my heart. The second thing is to go. I'm not going to mandate that everyone in this church goes on a missions trip. But I know for the people that are in this room that have gone, they will tell you to go. It changes you. I saw it change my father. I saw a shift in him. I know how it changed me. Go, if you're physically able, go. Lay down your excuses and and go. And I'm just talking short term, but maybe God's going to call some of you full time. Mark 16, 15 through 16 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world, proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So it's a command to go and not a suggestion, and it still applies to us today. Some would, some would argue that that was just for back then, but it's not. It's still for today. And, and there are, like our friends last week, who I can't say where they are or their names, but they're asking for people to come and do what you already do here. Like, so if you're a doctor, they're asking you for come and be a doctor short time. If you teach English. They're asking you to come and teach English short time. If you can sing, they're coming to ask you to sing. Um, They said they had these students show up at their doorstep. I don't even remember what their major was in college. It was like musicology, except way more intense from Liberty, actually. And um, they showed up at their doorstep, and he said, well, what do you guys do? They're like, well, we learn music in other languages. And he's like, perfect, let's get you to work. 
I know that I read a story of a guy who majored in his career was in aquaponics, which I have no clue what that is. Like he knew how to turn fish poop into plants, like keep plants alive. So, and after he retired, he moved to one of these unreached people group nations and started equipping people there to learn to grow their own vegetation. The third thing is give. Luke 12, 48 says, To whom much is given, much is required. Again, I fully believe that we as Americans have been given much. And so we're held responsible for what we have. Not just for our money, but certainly our money. And God's convicting me about that with me, myself, because I realize that we're taught to build up these ginormous 401ks so that our we have an, our, uh, a retirement and our kids have an inheritance, and I believe some of that is important. I believe that we need to be able to sustain after we quit our jobs. But side note, I, I don't fully believe in retirement either. <laughs> like after you're retired from your job, God still has a purpose for you. just want to say that, but I just have a problem with the fact that we're building up these things that literally disappear. That there's no, like, if our kids someday decide they don't like it, they're going to throw it away. Like, it all goes away. And so what God wants us to do is, yes, if we're going to build wealth, then, then build it for his kingdom, right? If God's given you that gift to make money, then teach other people how to make money for the kingdom of God and the glory of him and the good of others, right? Use your gifts, your talents. Every single one of you have them. You have gifts and talents. Some of you have time, which I know not many of us have time, but you have time. And God says use that. Maybe you know how to make necklaces or, I don't, lemonade or you make great pumpkin bread. I don't know, but I'm just saying God can use any of it. But I want you to hear today from two of our ministry partners that are um, some of our global partners and how every life's being made different in them and in our world. And LASE is the organization we support in El Salvador. They do uh, work in El Salvador, Nepal, Guatemala, and here in the U.S. And they work to transform communities. Uh, this mission is near and dear to our hearts. We fully believe in it wholeheartedly. And say what they do is they come alongside of local church pastors. They equip them and train them to assess the needs in their community. So if they need um, latrines, if they need clean water, if they need um, uh, eco stoves, because women so often will cook over a trash can and they'll get lung disease from cooking. Um, they will come along medical care. They'll, they'll assess whether there's medical care, and so they'll start medical clinics. But they come alongside of local community leaders who so often are not believers. They come alongside of them, and they partner together to make change in their community, and they're beginning to see even the local community leaders come to know Jesus. So let's take a look at what God is doing through one of the local pastors who we worked with last year. Sometimes when I look back 
over the last 20 years. I'm amazed to see how God has blessed us since we started working with Enlace. It's like the hand of God has joined with the hands of the church, community, and friends, all collaborating together to bring about change, not just spiritually, but in every way. We built 68 homes with work on water projects in the surrounding communities. We've built 200 latrines, improved stoves, home gardens. It's all been a great benefit. It was difficult for the church at the beginning to get used to working with our community, but after a few years, it became pure joy to work together, not only for me, but also for our church and our community. We all started to work together, and serving people became normal. It became joyful to simply work together. When we first started serving, we wanted to believe that we could change the community, but we had our doubts. In the beginning, someone from Enlace told me that one day the family in our community would be taken care of because of our work. In spite of our doubts, we kept working and following the process. I began to see God in the And now, I look and I'm amazed at all that has been done. For example, our first housing project was a project that involved a lot of investment work, people, and engaging with the community. And as the project developed, I began to believe that the The gospel is not only preached with words, but has to be accompanied with serving the community in whatever way the church is able. Church should not only be about preaching and planting churches, but it's also about the good we can do. This is the primary mission of the church. Esa sería la misión principal. So I know you just can't grasp what heroes these pastors are and what uh, miracles take place because a lot of you have never been, but um, most of their communities are in very rural areas in, San, in, in El Salvador where sometimes uh, the average income, a lot of the time, is $1 to $2 a day. So some of you give your kids an allowance bigger than that. So the cool thing about Enlace is a lot of organizations, Americans will just come in on a mission trip and save the day. And what that really does is take away dignity from the locals of being able to say, hey, we did that too. But what I love about Enlace is they actually, um, the locals are having to do, you know, the groundwork, and they also are responsible to raise half 
of the project cost. So like we went and built latrines this summer and half of the project cost had to be raised by the locals, which is an absolute miracle. They're able to say, man, we're proud of what God's doing here. And, um, and we also don't just do it for them. We come alongside of them and we do it their way. It's really easy for us as Americans to go and be like, our way is the best. We know how to do it. Let us take over. But what Enlace does is they encourage us to come alongside of the locals and do it their way in a way that's sustainable for them. And so we are taking a trip there this next summer in 2020, and I would highly encourage any of you to go. I plan on taking my 14-year-old with me. Um, I went to El Salvador for the first time at 15, and it changed my life, um, but I would encourage you to go. The second uh, global partner is Hope Center, and we just got back from taking a team there a few weeks ago, and I realized that going to Ireland, Ireland sounds super um, glamorous. We also go to Greece, which will be taking young adults to Greece um, in May of 2020, um, but Ireland is a country in desperate need of an awakening. Um, it's a country that has turned away from their faith, and suicide rates and drug uh, rates are at all-time high, uh, mostly due to prevalent childhood sexual abuse. And so um, Brian and Ann Kelly, the pastors there in Crumlin, uh, Ireland, are doing an incredible job reaching their community in really practical ways, and they're beginning to see transformation happen. So take a look at this short video. My church, every life may different in Ireland and in Belarus. Hi, so my church, four really quick stories. We have two ladies in their 60s um, who came to know the Lord in the last two years. Um, one through an Alpha course and one through a long-term friendship with Anne. Um, both of them now go to Bible college, one doing an Old Testament survey and the other one doing pastoral care. And one of the ladies had a very first prayer meeting in her home last night and there was about 10, 10 different ladies present. Um, just totally has changed their lives. Just it being introduced to Jesus and being on a walk and a journey with him. Mm -hmm. We have a young lad in the church whose mom and dad had him when they were only teenagers. His dad was only 16 when he was born. Um, the first one in their whole line in both families to have gone to college, to have a degree, He's going on now to do a master's and is going to be a teacher, a high school teacher, and is now just being installed as our youth and children's pastor in Hope. So again, the gospel making a huge difference in that family as well. Mm -hmm. And then we have Sergei, who most of you, um, anyone who's ever been to Ireland knows anyway. And Sergei's from Belarus. He's an orphan from the orphanage we go to in Belarus. And just the gospel and the power of Jesus in his life has just transformed his life. He's been living here now for two years and he's just about to start his tour year, going to college, doing a business degree. Um, just amazing things happening. Every life is made different with the gospel Amen. of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So Brian and Anne, every year for the last 16 years, they've taken teams to orphanages in Belarus where it's a communist country um, and there's desperate need in these orphanages. I mean, they're, they're in horrific shape and um, are very, very, very poor. And so Sergei, he was with us on our last trip and he's actually... Uh, been so moved by just what he has seen Brian and Ann and their church do that, and once he became in a relationship with God, he, 
He wants to give that same hope to others. So he's a trained electrician, and he's actually going to India for a week in November um, to work in an orphanage there. And it's just so inspiring because he literally has nothing. And, um, and so it just really was challenging to me of how he's using his gifts and talents to go um, give hope to these orphans when he knows where they've been. The second thing is, is every life may differ in our nation in Samaria. So just because we live in a Christian nation, and I say that term loosely now, because we know that our country is moving farther and farther away from our Christian foundation, it doesn't mean that we don't have areas in our nation where kids go hungry, where people are on the streets, where girls are being trafficked, where drugs are prevalent and hope is all lost. Even this morning, I don't know how many of you have like followed the, um, the court trial of the female white police officer in Dallas who killed the young man, um, and I don't know if you've seen the story of the brother of the man who died, and um, if you haven't, you need to look for it on social media. Um, but it's this powerful moment where this young man sits and looks at this police officer that killed his Christian brother and says to him, I forgive you. And I don't even want you to go to jail. And more than anything, my brother would want you to know Jesus. It was just this this powerfully moving video, and he actually asked the judge, can I go down and hug her? And the judge is weeping. You can see her wiping tears from her face. So this young man goes down and hugs this white police officer that killed her, his brother. Now just this morning, I got a news alert, and I don't even know why I'm signed up for them because I don't, they're super encouraging, you know. But the key witness in the trial was murdered this morning. So Dallas um, is in an upheaval. Right, Dallas is in a racial upheaval, and I realize that our nation is hurting, and we are in desperate need of the local church to be the church. We are in desperate need that our nation needs the hope of the world, which is Christians, which is the church. Our nation needs a savior. And the good news is, is that in Luke 15, it talks about, Jesus says how He leaves the 99 to go find the one. He goes and finds the one. And in Oklahoma City, um, we went to City Center this year, and we'll be taking two trips back there next year because it was such a popular trip. Um, But Jed and Julie Chapel are the leaders of City Center. Jed, um, they were on our staff at our last church in Oklahoma City, and it's a very... um, dangerous area at times, very high crime, very low poverty, single-parent homes, most of like kids and teens, uh, high dropout rates, highest pregnancy, teen pregnancy rates in the state, um, and most of these kids would end up in prison um, or on the streets if, if it weren't for places like city center. So Jed, just to give you like a synopsis, Jed is a... Um, 
an amazing man who is allowing God to use his story to help others and for the glory of God. Jed actually, as a teenager, uh, was going through a line of houses and robbing houses in Oklahoma City, and um, he came out of the last house, and a police officer uh, was on his knees and had his gun drawn, and Jed shot at the police officer. So the police officer then shot Jed in the chest. Um, It was on the news. Um, Jed was sentenced to a pretty long prison sentence, but at his sentencing, his uh, girlfriend went into labor. And Jed had this moment. This can't be how my life looks. I'm going to now have a kid, and I'm going to be in prison for at least 20 years. So Jed, while in prison, gave his life to Jesus. His story was on MSNBC lockups, uh, lockup, and um, he turned his life around. They released him after six years. He ended up at the church we were on staff at years before we came. Became our outreach pastor at one point, and now rescues these kids, mentors these kids, and um, God's doing incredible things through them. So take a look at this video from Julie and this girl named Talia. Talia. Every time. Tila is a senior at Putnam City Original High School and recently celebrated her 18th birthday. But most of her time is spent celebrating others. Tila is a giver and has a caretaker's heart with the spirit and the passion of a leader. I just remember seeing the smile on her face while she was serving and thinking, that girl is something special. She served and she served with joy. And she was the first one to step up and be a leader before she even had to be asked. Tila has a dream to someday enter the medical field. She hopes to become a nurse and possibly even a doctor. But life's tragedy has made this a very difficult dream to achieve. When Tila was younger, her mother had heart surgery and she had to care for her as well as several nieces and nephews. I had to grow up then too because I had to help her with her medicine, changing bandages, and helping her eat, stay up, watch her while she's sleeping and stuff, just to make sure that she's okay. Caring for her mother helped Tila realize that the medical field was the place for her. Her father hasn't been present in her life, which has made it hard for her to work towards her dream. Most days, she just hoped for food on the table and working electricity. In December of 2018, things started to change. Tila started coming to City Center. They had this thing called Aftershock, which is like a Bible study. Then after that, I started going to church. So it actually made me get a closer relationship with God than I did a year ago. Through positive mentoring relationships, Tila's life began to look different. By July, Tila had committed her life to follow Jesus and was baptized. And it crushed her that her dad didn't come to her baptism. It really broke her heart. And she looked out in the audience and she saw three of our staff guys in the audience. And she said, I knew that God had sent me a father. God has not only grown Tila's extended family, but he has also provided a way for her to go to college. A member of a visiting missions team was inspired by her story and has offered to fund her college education. I think through mentorship and through strong connections and relationships and people who are willing to get 
in the dirty trenches and walk with her day to day and encourage her along the way. I think that's how you take a student who was born with all the challenges that Tila's faced in her life and you get somebody who in 10 years is a doctor. Tila's always had hope that there could be a better future for her. Recently, Tila had the opportunity to meet with Mayor Holt and advocate for City Center. Her life has been so impacted by her mentors that she wants to see other kids have the same opportunity that she's had. Coach D'Angelo, Matt, and said they all have really impacted my life because not only have they pushed me to follow my dream, it means a lot because I never really had adult models telling me that I can do things. She's very motivated, she's spirited, she's resilient. She's brilliant, she's super smart, and she loves to study, and she'll persevere. I say her name wrong every single service. Someday I'll get it, but you may have heard them mention that a local missions team came to visit, and someone was moved so much that they offered to pay for her college, and it, I'm proud to say it was actually one of our team members from Summit. Um, it's pretty amazing, yeah. Um, to whom much is given, much is required. Um, the third point I want to make, and I'm closing, is every life made different in our city and surrounding cities. We know that there's great need here. We know that there are kids that go home on the weekends that aren't sure that they're going to get fed, and that's why we have backpack programs. We know that there is um, poverty. We know that there's people, some, without electricity. We know that drugs, of course, are at an all-time high, just like they are all around our nation. I know that at least four people overdosed and died in the last few weeks that had families. I realize that we have great need here, which is why our church exists and why we will go wherever God calls us to go. That we have cities that need to hear about Jesus. And I want to tell you a story found in Luke 10, 25. And it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But the attorney wanted to challenge him and say, and he said to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? And so Jesus tells this story where um, he, uh, this man is going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and this man gets beaten up by a band of robbers, and he's stripped naked and left for dead. And we see this priest come down the street, and he sees the man in his path, sees him dying, but he, for whatever reason, I believe maybe he just thought, oh, well, this man isn't a part of my congregation, so he's not my responsibility, and so he literally walks to the other side of the street to avoid the man. Then Jesus says a Levite came, and Levites were typically priest assistants. They were in the temple as assistants. And so the Levite is walking down the same street, sees this man in his path, does the same thing as the priest does, crosses the street to avoid him. 
And then we see a Samaritan walking by. And Samaritans were known um, as really enemies. They were known as half-breeds. They would have never, uh, never on an ordinary day done something like this. And so he was the least likely to step in and do something. But it says in Scripture that he was moved with compassion. When you're moved with compassion, you have to do something, Right? So he sees this man and he says, I have to do something. And so he goes and he binds up his wounds. He bandages his wounds. He gets him on a donkey. He takes him to a nearby inn. And, um, and Jesus says to this man, so which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the most important question in this story, of course, is what must I do to inherit eternal life? But the second is, who is my neighbor? And Mel preached last week, and then our neighbor is any other person that is around us, right? So the priest said, it's not my problem, which we so often do in our own lives. Well, that's not my issue. I don't have to worry about that. The Levite may have said, I'm not qualified. And how many of us do that? Well, I'm not qualified to do that. That's a pastor's job, somebody else's job. But the Samaritan said, I know the answer. And Jesus is the good Samaritan in all of our stories. He is the reason why we live and breathe and have our being. He is the restorer of our soul and the hope for our future. So what does this look like for you and for me? Well, maybe it's helping a Muslim and befriending them in our city. Or someone of a different race that you wouldn't normally associate with. Or someone from a different socioeconomic background that you wouldn't normally engage. Maybe it's engaging people from all of the countries that God is, is so definitely sending here to Indian, little Indiana, PA. At IUP alone, there's 800 international students from 60 different countries, uh, some of those being from unreached people groups. So how crazy is it that God, and I believe God, would open a door for those individuals to step foot into our city to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I realize they're at IUP, but I believe sent them to our city to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, to only go back and take the gospel with them. They have more access, they already have the visas, they already have the permission. And so, but what are we doing about it? What are we doing about it? In our own church, God has brought the nations. We have Germany, France, China, India, Colombia, Mexico, Kenya, Nigeria, Taiwan, Vietnam, Benin, Uganda, and Korea, and I'm sure there are more, but those are the nations that are represented in our congregation alone that God has brought here through IUP. Like, that's incredible. This morning I got to pray with a Nigerian and a Ugandan. God is moving, but we have a responsibility. So can you just imagine with me, what if one person, person from each of those 60 countries was reached for the gospel? What if only one? What would happen? So what is our responsibility? There's the IUP International Friendship Program, which I know many of you are already involved in. 
We want to hold more alpha courses, which is a really non-threatening way to introduce people to the Bible. They can ask questions without getting judged. As Steph held one last year, and a guy from Saudi Arabia and China both came, both closed countries. Um, a few years ago, when I went to Cyprus with a team, uh, half of Nicosia, the city in Cyprus, is owned by the Turkish, so it's Islam. Uh, the other half is Greek, which is Greek Orthodox. So when you cross over to the Turkish side of the border, it is very, very dark. Very, very dark. There was a big war there, and um, all uh, mosques have taken over Christian churches. So we were in this mosque that was once a church, and our um, ministry partner taught us something really powerful that I'll never, ever forget. First of all, he told us not to be afraid of Muslims. Because Jesus loves them and wants them to know him. Um, and God speaks to them in very specific ways when they finally choose faith uh, in Jesus Christ. And so he said to us as he was teaching us, he said, you guys, um, today all I want you to do is we're going to go out into the city and I want you to get one face in your mind. And you're not going to know their name but I just want you to get their face imprinted into your mind because you, and pray for them, because you are the only person who has ever prayed for their souls. They don't have a great-grandma or a great-grandma, great-great-grandma that went to church at some point. They have zero people praying for their souls to be saved. And that has stuck with me ever since. And so the other day we're sitting in Starbucks and these two girls who I believe were from Saudi Arabia are sitting there and I just get their face in my heart and I realize, God, you have sent them here. So what, what do I need to do about it? I know a few years ago, uh, Steph was praying that same prayer and just praying, God, I, I want to befriend these people from other nations, and so she was actually behind our church, and she, she literally had just prayed that prayer, walked outside of our church, and there were two Muslim women um, playing on the playground with their kids. And God said, I'm answering your prayer. And what she didn't do was go up to them and say, hey, you guys, did you know that uh, you're going to hell? Like, please don't do that, you guys. If I see you standing on the streets with signs and if I see you put bumper stickers on your car telling people they're going to hell, um, please don't put a summit sticker on it as well. Because <laughs> I believe that God reaches people through relationship. And so she befriended them. They even invited her into their homes. One of them was from Egypt. One of them was from where? Saudi Arabia. It's just practical, right? It's not scary. So I have a question for you. Do you talk about the gospel? Do you talk about Jesus more than actually living it out? Are you actually being his hands and feet? Are you building your life for things that will just disappear or for the eternal? It is so true, and the good news is, is that if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that we will be saved, and we are saved, and we will go to heaven, right? That is good news. 
But it still says that we're going to be held accountable for what we do or don't do with the gospel while we're here on this earth. And most of us want to ignore that part. At Proverbs 24, 11 through 12, and I don't like to read it any more than to you than I like to read it for myself, but it says, Rescue the perishing. Don't hesitate to step in and help. If you say, hey, that's none of my business, will that get you off the hook? Someone is watching you closely, you know. Someone not impressed with weak excuses. And I'll be the first to say I have my own list of weak excuses. Well, I'm not very outgoing. Well, I'm really busy. Even this morning, I was driving down Philly Street, running a little late, needing to be here, knowing I would preach, and I see a girl who I know on like 10th and Philly, and I see her walking, and I know she's walking all the way here. And I'm like, I can't. I can't stop and get her. I'm just confessing, right? I can't stop and get her. I'm already running late. I don't have time. Holy Spirit was like, Kim, you live what you preach. You turn this car around. I was like, Emma, we're turning around and we're going to go get this girl. Oh, we turn our car around to pull over. I said, hey, are you walking to church? And she said, yeah, I am. So we'll get in the car. And she said, did you turn around for me? Yeah, I did. Thank you. So I felt like when I was walking today that God was going to send somebody to pick me up. And I could have missed out on that, you know, because I was in a hurry. I'm just saying it's little things that we don't even realize. See, God has created your life to count right where you're at. Who has God placed right in front of your face that you're ignoring? He's given you the gifts and the abilities you have to be used for the good of others and the glory of God. And Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The whole reason why Jesus came was to save the lost and to seek them out. And this quote by David Platt that I read this week says, There's really only one thing worse than being lost. What's worse is being lost when no one is trying to find you. There's, of course, billions of people in our world where no one's trying to find them. But maybe you're sitting here today and you feel like that lost one, and maybe you've even said it, if I disappeared, no one would try to find me. Or you know you're lost. And today you want to be found, and I will tell you, Jesus has always been seeking you out. He's always been seeking you out to find you and for you to be found and to make your life count. And so I just want everyone in this room to bow their heads and close their eyes and no one looking around. Maybe today you say, Kim, I am that lost one. And I know God brought me here today to be found and I want to be found. I want to choose relationship with him. I want my life to matter. So today if you Feel like that's you. If you know that you're lost and you want a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you'll just raise your hand and I'm just going to pray for you. 
Yeah, I see you in the back. You can put your hand down. Is there anyone else today that wants to be found? everyone will just pray and repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I'm lost and I need you. I want to be found today. Forgive me of my sins. I want to be in relationship with you. I want my life to matter. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. I choose you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we all just give God praise? In Luke um, 15, it actually says, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So literally all of heaven is rejoicing today. And so if you gave your life to Jesus today, uh, we want to walk alongside of you. There's salvation cards in the seat back in front of you. You can fill those out. You can put them in the boxes when you leave, or you can take it to the info center and get a Bible. You can also text the word salvation to 555-888, and and we can receive it that way. But we want to join you, um, walk alongside of you. So for the rest of us, now I'm going to give you a call to action. So maybe you're here today and you said, Kim, I needed this message today. I need and I want my life to count for the good of others and the glory of God. I want my heart to break for the things that break God's heart. I want to make a difference. And if that is you today, will you just raise your hand and I just want to pray corporately over, um, over all of us and just ask God to, to do an incredible work in our lives. And I believe that some of you are going to be called to be missionaries. I believe some of you are going to be called to go on short-term trips. I believe that some of you um, are just going to step into a new season of your life where you will see God uh, reveal his promises to you that maybe you've had in your heart since you were small. And like I said, last night, a 14-year-old decided she was called into missions. Uh, After our 4.30 service yesterday, a big guy that comes here faithfully was out in the lobby weeping and a a woman who he, he kind of knew said, hey, I just want you to know your 60-year-old brother has just started going to the church for a first time, and he has his first Bible because I gave it to you. And, and here he is weeping and saying, I want my brother to know Jesus. But listen, I'm saying God's doing miracles. And so I'm going to pray over you, and we're going to agree together that God um, uses us for the good of others and the glory of God. God, I just thank you for each and every person that is here today. God, I pray that we would build our lives for you and you alone. God, I pray that whether... Um, there are students that are in elementary and middle school and high schools. God, I pray that you would use them to reach their fellow students. God, I pray for these IUP students and other college students. God, that you would empower them to reach uh, those close to them for the sake of the gospel. God, I pray that the nations would come to you through this city, God. 
Oh God, what if, what if some of these nations turn around and, and come to know you because of someone came here and learned about you? God, use us to be light. Lord, I pray for medical professionals and teachers and labor workers and sheets workers and every field, God, that you would help them to see that their life matters right where they are, that you've given them gifts and people around them to count for the good of others and the glory of God. God, help us to have our heart break for what breaks yours. When we look at people, help us to see that their soul matters. Help us not to judge, but to love. Help us to be your hands and feet. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So we're doing something a little bit different today, and um, the last service really responded. And so I want to ask our prayer team to come forward. And they're not going to be on the sides like they normally are, because I just fully believe we're in church, and we shouldn't be ashamed to get prayed for. Like, and we live in a nation where it is safe to get prayed for, right? So I want our prayer team to come to the front. And we're not going to sing one last song like we normally do because I believe that God just called us to a moment of prayer. And you are going to be dismissed in just a moment. But for those of you who need prayer, who want to agree uh, with someone, regardless of what it is, or maybe you just need to sit in your seat for a moment and, and ask God, God, what do you want me to get out of this message today before I leave? Then I want to invite you to do so. And for the rest of you, um, you are dismissed. And I want to remind you about giving. Your funds really are changing the nation's. And so you are free to leave, but I just want to invite you to come and pray. And I don't know where our prayer team is, but if not, our staff is going to come and we will be available uh, to pray with you. You all have a great weekend.